it really is just like pay attention to what makes sense to you. And then another thing that people need to ask themselves is really, do I want it? Do I want this? What do I really want? If I could do anything and invest anywhere, where would that be? And then once you really acknowledge that, then your second question is, and how can I make that work? And if you just put a little bit of thought into it, just like the people did who sold everything and moved to Boise, but this time we're going to make a good choice. You'd be amazed what you could come up with. You'd be amazed. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Welcome back to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, and on today's show, we have on Monica Jazik. Monica is a wife, a mother, and a real estate investor. In today's episode, we talk through how she helps her students at RPI Education build out a portfolio in high-growth markets using the philosophy that you don't need to go big in order to win in real estate. We also have a conversation around her passive investing portfolio. It's a misconception out there that most active real estate investors don't also invest passively, but she talks us through the reasons why she supplements her active real estate portfolio with passive investments as well. Monica, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? I'd have to say my favorite ice cream would be cookie dough ice cream. Yum. Now you're joining us from Toronto or right outside of Toronto. If we're ever in that area, where's the best ice cream place we should go? Where I would say the best ice cream place to go. It's not actually, it would be gelato on Main, yes. on Markham yes. Main Street. So little off the edge of ice cream, but gelato counts as ice cream, kind of, right? We had a fellow Canadian on the show a couple months ago, and he said gelato on Main too. So it must be pretty darn good up there. Well, it is. And it's only like a one shop. We actually, this is in Markham, right where we live. And we actually have investment properties right around there. And we were airbnb some some things. So we're always telling them to go to Gelato on Main. So Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? So I'm a real estate investment specialist and wealth builder. And we try to help at RPI Education, everyday people invest like the top 2% by primarily investing in real estate and alternative investments. Awesome. Well, part of that alternative investment is real estate. I'd like you to take us back. Where did your real estate journey begin? Oh, my goodness. So our real estate journey began about 13 years ago when we realized that we had to start investing different. We were trying to invest traditionally through banks, through traditional savings, spending less, trying to make more. And we were really spinning our wheels. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and my husband had a great income. We were trying to make the most of this one income, but we still weren't hitting these savings goals that we needed to, such as a healthy retirement. We weren't able to help our kids out. We we're still even in a sense living paycheck, even though he's making great money. And when 2008 hit and all of our savings that we saved the traditional way, our meager savings, I might add, uh, <laughs> disappeared overnight, we really realized we need to start doing something differently. We need to start acting differently, investing differently to get the results that we want to get. And that was really was freedom in our life. So if I wanted to continue to stay home, that I'd be able to do so. And it kind of hit me the real point, how important that was, was when it kind of realized that I was the financial plan. Like 
if I wanted to be able to retire, help my kids out, I had to go to work full time and I would be making over six figures as well. What kind of society do we live in if it takes two six figures to just get by? And that's what really irked me. And I, I thought, you know what? There's other people who are doing this. There's other people who are living incredibly wealthy lives. They have this time, money, freedom in their lives. We need to do that. And that's when we started learning how to invest in real estate. Well, 2008, 2009 was a very scary time to invest in real estate. It felt like the real estate market was turning to an end. I'm sure you explored a lot of different options there. Why did you ultimately land on real estate? Well, 2008, 2009 was when everything went bye-bye for us. And so eventually, I don't know what happened, but the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, sometimes around that time crossed my desk. And all of a sudden, just the financial literacy, everything I learned and been practicing for the years and years before that, trying to help our family build wealth, it just realized it was all wrong. And the book just made me do a total 180 in regards to finances and really points out that real estate is the number one wealth builder. And we didn't start investing like immediately that year. I think it was 2010. We were really starting to invest in real estate. So things were a little bit better then, but it was just, that's when the light bulb moment happens during that time. And after reading that book, my husband and I were just both on the exact same page where we just knew it was like instant. And he just came home one day and he was like, we need to buy a property. And all of a sudden I just went from this kind of blurry dream that always sort of seemed reserved for other people, for rich people, not for people like us. And who are we to think that we were these real estate investors? We didn't have any knowledge. We didn't have any time. We certainly didn't have any money. And we lost all our money in 2008. Yeah. So it just always kind of seemed like something just reserved for the ultra wealthy end. And we, the problem was we didn't know how it worked. Like we didn't, I thought you had to buy the house next door. And that's one thing. And second thing is I, I thought you had to buy things outright. And I knew we live in a very expensive area. We could hardly afford the house we have. How the heck are we ever going to afford another house? So we just had none of these skills that I think are so important for everyday people to really be aware because it doesn't take a lot to build great wealth through real estate. Today, we show people how to amass an amazing amount of wealth, a multi-million dollar retirement, even just with one property. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I would just say if you're a listener out there and you haven't read that book, just stop what you're doing and go read it. I would love to learn the stats on how many real estate investors got involved in real estate because of this book. And I think it just changes your mind on how finance is taught versus how it really works in life. Yeah, absolutely. It was just such an eye-opener. And there were so many concepts that were just so new, like even the difference between assets and liabilities and your house not being an asset, your house being a liability is just incredible. Everything that Robert Kiyosaki taught, and he really is one of my heroes. I've actually met him and had a photo with him. And I was so starstruck, I could hardly speak. But I would just love the opportunity to interview him or maybe write a thank you letter to him or or and do what he's doing, like even carry on that legacy. And that's really our goal is really to fill this wealth gap. Just by sharing these knowledges, building like on what he's teaching, he's just going forward. He's way past real estate. Like he is just revolutionary. He just goes full steam forward and is is done with so many other interesting concepts. What he did with real estate, just bringing so many other interesting concepts and perspective to people to really show people to challenge the status quo and, and don't just eat what everyone is feeding you this day and age. Really kind of have a hard look and invest in yourself, really learn some different perspectives. 
and learn how to really advocate for yourself. That's what Vaughn and I used to really sort of sit in the back a lot more and take what was given. And in reality, you really got to look out for yourself. No one's going to take care of you. You need to create your own government and really kind of just figure out what do I need to do to help me and my family move forward. And once you're introduced and take that time for yourself to learn different parts of knowledge and and get the support you need, it's amazing what, what really can be achieved, just like what Robert achieved in his stories. Even if you don't have a, a strong interest in finance, like probably Monica and I do, you are in charge of your own financial future and your own financial independence. And I would encourage you to try to employ some of the strategies that you hear about on podcasts to take control of your financial future. I think everybody knows my story at this point where I was working at W2, a previous job that I had, where I was going to receive a life-changing commission check. And out of nowhere, one VP makes a call and I'm no longer getting that money. And whose fault is that? I could be mad about it and sad about it all day long, but that really opened my eyes into saying I could play the safe route all day long for the rest of my career and it still not end up the way I want it to. So I might as well just take a risk and go learn these different strategies to take my own financial future in my hands. Amazing. And you don't even have to leave your job to to increase your financial literacy and learn things. I mean, and if you're not interested in money, well, then what are you interested in? It doesn't mean you have to love money or only focus on money, but the way that money works, that's a real money is just a tool to help you get that freedom in your life. So everyone needs to really stop and ask themselves, what am I trading my life for? And every day people trade their life for something. Some people think that they have to go through and do what they're doing every day, but then you don't have to do anything. Every day you wake up, you have a choice and you're in the driver's seat and things might get really tough and it might get hard for you. Let's pretend you don't go to work or you lose your job. That's going to be a really difficult time for you. And I remember Vaughn and I used to look at his job and be grateful he even had a job. That's the way we used to speak. We used to speak like that, like, well, at least you have a job to go to. Yeah. Like now I look back to that so many years ago and I think, what kind of mindset would I was in then to now I wake up every day and I'm like, what do I want to happen today? What kind of life do I want to create for myself? And every single person, regardless of where you guys are right now, whatever anyone's experiencing, no matter what your financial situation is, you can do that. You can really put yourself in the driver's seat and steer your own life into the direction that you don't, you want, you do not have to play the cards that you've been dealt. I love it. Well, you have two different sides of your business, if I could say. One of them is the investing side. So you're a active investor and a passive investor, and then you've got RPI education. So I want to set RPI education to the side and talk about the what you're invested in right now. So could you give us a, a broad range view of what does your portfolio look like today? And then we'll go mm-hmm. into kind of the things that you're seeing and the different strategies that you're employing. So my portfolio, what works for me right now today is investing in high growth areas close to us. Well, actually, I shouldn't say close to us since last week, I just closed on a property in a different province and I'm building 27 homes in Florida. That's not very close. Not not even close. (laughs) Okay. So those aren't very close. (laughs) My most exciting acquisition recently was an amazing property right in downtown Toronto. We haven't closed on, we're closing November 18th. And we received that for about $150,000 below fair market value, which was really exciting. And prior to that, in July, we closed on a property right near Markham Main Street, near Gelato in Maine, which is a converted duplex, which I'm so excited about. And once again, 
we received that property for way below fair market price. Now, these are expensive properties still. That was an $800,000 property. We just had it reappraised for $1.1 million. And so whenever we're buying in these areas, we're always looking for the very, very best properties, but the very, very best deals. We currently also purchased another deal in Markham just right down the street from that one. We'd receive that for $770,000 and we're flipping that for 1.4 million in 12 weeks. These are the sort of things that we love to focus on now. When we started investing in real estate, we were investing in faraway places for the cheapest price possible and try to get as many as possible. We wanted 100 homes. So having 100 homes is like having 100 kids. So anyone who's read our book, Real Estate Mistakes, you'll hear how I probably lost all this beautiful blonde <laughs> hair. Just fell out. I was probably bald 13 years ago. No, But that's where we started. Whereas now we're really on this journey to create a $20 million portfolio through 10 awesome acquisitions. And we're well on our way for that. That's really exciting for us to do. And it's very easy for us to manage. And those are our active investments. Now, our passive investments, we love, we're very diversified and all across the board. We love self-storage. I think we were chatting about that before because I know that's your cup of tea. We love car washes, anything with real estate and business components on it, apartment acquisitions, all that. But I don't do that myself. I invest that as a passive investor through cash and also through our registered funds. So those retirement funds that we lost so much money on, our kids' education funds, Vaughn's group fund that he got from diligently employer matching for years and years and years and pretty much went to zero in 2008. So <laughs> we recontrolled it by self-directing it. All of that also allowed us to accrue great wealth and I'm continuously diversifying in these types of investments, which to me is so exciting because I don't have time to manage an apartment building and I don't have time to manage a car wash and a self-storage facility, but my great friends and fellow real estate experts that I have time to get to know, time to vet their opportunities, gives me a lot of control in those investments. I'm able to actually write a check and that's when you really get that great financial freedom because my money's working for me while I'm sleeping. And I think that's really the greatest indicator of wealth. And lastly, one of my most favorite things to invest in lately as well is actually an insurance. And so we've created infinite banking policies, which my husband and I both have been overfunding from our flips, from our burrs, from all this equity we're getting, which allows us to actually buy our net worth, not just build our net worth. And our oldest child just turned 18 and he has his own infinite banking policy. That was one of his financial moves, which was super duper exciting. So we really want people to, we believe in their seven wealth keys that we really kind of at RPI try to spread. And us as wealth builders, we really actively are every day wake up and say, how am I building wealth today? How, how can I get my money working for me rather than me working for the money? And wow. we also actively involve our own family in this to really show people what's possible. And it takes a lot of work and time and effort to try this all out. But that's really how our company was built, was by us figuring all this out on our own. And then now just being surrounded by an amazing wealth team and a community that can help guide us because we're not experts in every single area. They expose us to new ideas and we personally try them out first. And we're like the world's guinea pig. (laughs) like, hey, check this out. We had zero and now we have $5 million. And so 
that's really what we're doing in, in regards to wealth diversification is we do have our active, we have our passive, we have our insurance. And I think that's what it really takes in order to build wealth is a diversified portfolio that is not mutual funds. People think of diversification, they think of stocks and, and mutual funds, but you could diversify a lot more ways than that, that you can have a lot more control over for sure. Yeah, you talked about a lot of things that got me super excited. High growth markets, which we want to touch into the 10 properties. You only really need to own 10 properties that could appreciate to $20 million. Or even on the low end, you could have 10 that could appreciate to $10 million. And that'd be a fantastic retirement portfolio. But then this also concept of infinite banking, which I think our listeners know that I'm a huge fan of and employ myself. People will have to decide if it's for them. But I will say you have to unlearn everything you know about finance at the beginning of this conversation to really understand the power there. But before we get to some of this, I want to dig into this past. You are an active real estate investor today. This is what you do every single day. You eat, sleep and breathe it. But you also have passive investing. So you talked about the diversification. One of the people I know in the real estate industry has over a billion dollars of assets under management in apartment complexes and self-storage all throughout the United States. And one of the things he talks about a lot is, but I still am involved in 26 different syndications as well as a passive Mm -hmm. investor. So you mentioned diversity. Is that to diversify yourself away from like a specific market, a specific asset class? Talk us through why you decided to, as an active real estate investor, also partner up with people to be a passive investor as well. Well, I remember when I started investing in real estate and I was hearing about apartment syndications and these opportunities to make 8% and 12% scoffing in the back of the room because I could make 48% and I could do this and I can do everything because I'm just the greatest. And I really remember as the years went over, when you start out in real estate investing, you're very excited until you realize that you can play in the sandbox with others. And it doesn't have to be you trading your time. Because what I did was went from not wanting to be a working person so I could be home with kids to a real estate investor that was working 24 hours a day and not being home with kids. So I sort of traded (laughs) I traded apples for apples for a little while until I realized it's perfectly fine to be able to diversify with others. Yes, you can create this great active investments for yourself and have a bigger ROI, but there's a trade-off there and it's time. Let's go back to what are you trading your life for? And I wasted three years of my life, real estate investing. I made a million dollars in mistakes on our book, Real Estate Mistakes. We made so much money and we lost so much money. And we got out of the problem through real estate. So it made us excellent real estate and wealth consultants. But when I started working with one of our our favorite business coaches, it really kind of got us focused, laser focused on a less is more approach. And that's where that saying comes from. What are you trading your life for? And I'm all about my kids. I'm all about my family, my health, my fitness. And I think apartment buildings would just kind of take me a little bit away from that. So I really pick my projects carefully make sure that they they provide a return on investment that's going to be able to provide for my family and give me the financial results that we want without taking over my life. So I'm just not, you know, supplementing another job. So real estate really is something that can kind of, we enjoy doing. And when we do it close by, it really fits for us. But when it was far away or a larger acquisition that really takes full time hours to get that achieved, 
then that's really when I outsource that. And that's really when I want to start doing passive investments. Brilliantly said, I have this concept of ROI. And when I say that, most people think return on investment. But what I try to do is talk about return on intentionality. And to your point, with four kids and an active real estate business going on, you probably are pulled in many different directions. If you're a high income earner out there with kids and you want to be there present for their soccer games and be a good partner for your your spouse or for your friends and family and things like that, maybe it's not the best use of your time to go spin up an active real estate business. Now, if that's what you want to do full time, by all means, go do it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I still believe that single families provide a sense of stability in your portfolio. I think that if you want to find your way in diversifying your your portfolio into real estate, for most people, 99% of people, the best way to do it is to find good operators and good markets and good asset classes that you believe in and just partner with them, be the capital partner to them. Yeah, I love that. And it's really easy to do. And I, I love vetting these opportunities. I spend a lot of my days, what Vaughn and I primarily do with most of our time is identifying high growth areas and strategies that work in those areas and building teams in those areas, and then sharing that with others, investing it in ourselves and sharing it with others. And so our days, even though we have active investments, because we plan them out so carefully, it really is time sensitive today, which really requires we have teams running the investments too. So we're really just aside from planning them, figuring out what works, then being able to act when they come, really just sort of dropping by. Like I've worked on four properties today, and I think it probably only took about an hour of my day where I spent three hours on the tennis court already. And now I get to spend an hour with you and I spend an hour at lunch. And then I just spent an hour before you talking to my kids how how their day after Halloween was. So you really have to, there's a lot more to life than just working. And and there's a lot of high income earners out there. And that's really great that they have jobs. We do need people with jobs. Not everyone needs entrepreneurs. But what people need to really remember too is how dispensable your job is, whether it's a health issue. So people always have these fantasies of leaving their jobs. Uh, they don't really want to sit on a beach all day and and do absolutely nothing. But people want to live they stand for and what their life is. The main problem really is not you leaving your job. It's what happens when your job leaves you and how much wealth are you going to bring in that? So I think everyone's first wealth goal should really be to supplement or recreate their mm-hmm. income or what we call as your freedom number. What will it take you every month so you're pretty much not living under a bridge? Because if you're not going to work every day, you're not spending all your time doing that, you'll spend your time doing something. But if anything ever happened to you or something where you couldn't go to work every day or you just don't have a job to go to, really, what is that safety net for you and how is it currently providing? And I think that's the way people have to start training their mind is really opening them up their, themselves up to different residual streams of income. Passive investments are absolutely perfect for that. And that really is the only investment that works. A lot of people say residential real estate and active real estate is a passive investment, but only from a tax point, because it takes work unless you're the one there making sure you're managing tenants and putting your blood, sweat and tears behind that. It is active and people have to really call it for what it is. It's worth it. You'll make more money than any job if you do it correctly, but it's work and you, yep. you got to see it for what it is. Unless you're a joint venture partner and you're just an equity partner and you're just writing that check, then it is active. Yeah, I think we're kind of aligned. What I'm hearing is we're aligned on this idea of like, if you like your job, just stay at your job. Like there's nothing wrong with being an employee, but the riskiest thing I think you could do is tie yourself to one income. 
So at the very least, what you should be doing is supplementing it or finding out what your freedom number is and start building those income streams to get there so that if your job leaves you, you have options. And what I can say is that there's this subconscious burden on top of you that you don't even realize is there when you have to think about how do am I going to put food on the table? How do I put a roof over my head? And I have yet to find words to describe when I finally got to that point where I didn't have to worry about that. I could be more intentional with my family, with my friends, with the activities and passions that I have, but also in my job because of that. Absolutely. The greatest freedom is going to work every day, knowing you don't have to be there. That's the ultimate freedom goal right there. And we always tell our clients that all the time at RPI, like that's the first thing that you really want to be going to is, and do you know how happy you are? Because how many people go there and they're, they go in their work and I'm I'm just here because I have to be. There's other people who love their job. And yes, we obviously need people to, to be working in society. We can't just all be entrepreneurs. But if you don't love your job, then you can even switch your job. You can have that power. You can have that freedom. It really goes back to designing your life and creating your best life for sure. You've talked a little bit about high growth markets, and I'm a firm believer that you should pick the market that you believe is a good core market and a high growth market, to use your words, before you start picking the asset classes and the teams, et cetera, because a good market can hide a lot of bad deal making, in my opinion. Now, when you find that market, a good jockey or a good operator is key as well, because a bad operator could definitely destroy a good deal. If I'm new to this, how do I understand what a good market is or a bad market, a high growth market and a non high growing market? I think that there's so many, it's so funny with markets and real estate and stuff, because everyone's like, always like, ooh, like what markets are going to be better? Where can I invest? And it's like, there's only certain places, like new places are not going to pop up off the map. So why not go where people want to live? I always try to go back to a commonsensical approach in regards to investing. Go where people want to live. Yes. Be really obvious. Be like Nashville. Yes. (laughs) Toronto, Mm -hmm. Atlanta. Where are people living? Where are the jobs? What's the economy? Like what's happening? Even expensive areas like LA can still be a great place to invest. So it really is what's happening in, in these areas. What sort of economic indicators are there that there's growth happening in these areas? Where do people want to live? How many jobs are available for these people? Are people migrating or are they leaving? And I think the worst part is when people chase the lower purchase price point homes, that's where they're going to get problematic tenants. And they're going to be in areas that just don't have strong economies. If they don't have strong economies, they're not going to have jobs. If they don't have jobs, how are your tenants going to pay you? And also, FYI, if these homes are so cheap, then who the heck's living in your properties? Why don't they just buy them? So that's another thing that I do. I've switched around too a lot is that in our, for our tenant, who we rent to, who do we create these properties for? So I'm going to invest in a, a high growth market like Nashville, say, for example, if we did Nashville, what strategy will work best there? Who lives there? Music artists, <laughs> people who want to get into the industry, do these things, people, a lot of people coming, going, would that be a great area for short-term rentals? Would that work in that market? What would that sort of look like? Would I like those tenants? I love short-term rental tenants personally, because they're people, they're proactive people who are kind of coming, going, you can do fully furnished, you can increase rents, you don't have to make a commitment with them, you don't have to worry about people not paying. There's so many different strategies in real estate investing, that even if the market's more expensive, what can you really start implementing to really give what the market needs? Now, one thing that I'm really excited about, and it is going to be a lot more active, which is happening here currently, and we've been doing this for a while, is really creating more 
housing. And with these interest rates that we have that are going up, I know there's interest rate hikes seem to be happening all the time. I don't want to date stamp anything here, <laughs> but they continuously seem to be going up for both of our countries. And it's really tough for people. There's also signs of economic downturns and pending recession if we're not already in one and, and housing prices dropping. So there's a lot of question marks in, in what's happening. But the fact of the matter is, is people need homes to live in. I mean, this has gone back since the caveman days. And so another key indicator about markets to invest in really is affordability. Now, it's not the cheapest homes, but my in the U.S., my favorite states are places that are kind of below that $500,000 price point between two fifty five hundred. dollars That's pretty affordable. But you get to this point where it becomes challenging, and especially with these high interest rates. And this is where mortgage helpers really help. So we're getting out our shovels and our construction crews. And I think we'll be doing some more small developments where we're going to be creating housing in our area in particular. And we're going to be creating single family properties or small multifamily with built-in mortgage helpers in the forms of the ADUs and in the forms. We've been doing basement apartments for years. We're able to do basements here. I know some areas where we invest in, you have to do side-by-side two units. But here, I think the best thing to do is really take that one family home and create two additional units there. So now it appeals to people. One, a lot of people have blended families where they live with their in-laws. They have extended families or relatives that also can go on the mortgage. They can do it together. There's enough room for two families or they can get a traditional renter. And then now they can qualify for these mortgages and they could still live in these areas. And it's not just an all renters market because we don't want that to happen either. We want people to be able to afford homes. So people can't afford a home. A lot of people can afford it with a mortgage helper when they're able to rent out these additional units. And people have been doing this since the beginning of time. I remember when my grandmother immigrated to Toronto and this would have been oh my goodness, like 60 or 70 years ago, they had 14 people living in that house. (laughs) They were renting all sorts of rooms out. So real estate really has been. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because I found a picture of that house and it's right in in East York, Toronto for $14,000. Wow. And guess what it said on the back of it? You'll never believe what it said on the back. Vendor take back. It was a seller. So they're even doing seller financing. Yeah. That long ago where people couldn't qualify. They couldn't get mortgages. Other people are holding mortgages. And here we are in, in 2022, going into 2023. And we're still using these strategies. And the strategies that saved people back then are going to be the strategies that save people now. But a lot of people just don't understand that. Yeah, I had no idea where you were going with the mortgage helpers, but I love that idea. I think in in the US, we would call that like house hacking, finding a way to have somebody offset your mortgage. But it's beautiful that you are building those as well. I don't want to breeze over this topic of high growth markets as well, just because I think too often in real estate, people are looking for the next big city. And what I'm hearing from this conversation is, no, people are always going to live in Los Angeles because it's beautiful to live there. People are always going to live in Florida or near the beaches because it's beautiful to live there. People are always going to live to Nashville, Atlanta, Dallas, Austin. So stop trying to create a new market or look for these trends. You might be able to spot one and be able to accelerate your wealth building journey because you found one. But the Mm -hmm. risk there is also that it turns into a... And I hate to go on my Boise bashing 
uh, topic here, the next Boise, where people moved there because of COVID, because they had the ability to work from home, and now they're being called back into the office, and you're seeing housing dip there because there's no natural, organic reason for people to be living there. Was that not insane? Yeah. How people moved? They just left everything. People moved to Newfoundland. (laughs) (laughs) No one lives in Newfoundland. And then they're like, "Uh uh-oh. You yep. want me back? Like, did you yep. not see that coming? And yep. so it was crazy how sometimes a lot of people moving in cottage country, city slickers like me, in the yep. cottage country, which is great in the summer, but in February, not so much. And they're like, yeah. uh oh, you know, <laughs> and paying these these big prices. I think it's amazing how people can be more inclined to act spontaneously and do something spontaneously silly than just really taking that risk and expanding your education. And taking the time to figure out how to sort of have a more long standing plan. But I love that Boise, Boise example. It's hilarious because n- and no new like state is going to come off the map all of a sudden. Right. It's going to be there are growth indicators. And when industry moves to specific areas, obviously we're gonna pay attention to that. But quite often it really has to be the proximity from a major city center where it, the economics really makes sense. Now, the reason I'm so passionate about this was when we started investing, I was investing in a town nine hours north oh. of Toronto. And when we got in there, the economic fundamentals were fantastic because I was picking up $40,000 homes and renting them out for $1,000 a month. So this was great. And then transfer that to apartment buildings and everything. And the economy was on fire, because, but it was primarily mining. And I thought the diversity was there, but it really was not. And when our government changed and all of a sudden all the roads weren't leading north and they shut up those mines, there was zero in- industry. And those $1,000 a month rents dried up really fast. Yep. No yep. one could afford to pay them. I had no tenants. And so that's really why if I was in an area like, say, Nashville, and there's all these other different types of economy there, it's not just like the entertainment industry, there's hospitals, there's schools. There's call centers, there's warehouses, there's all different types of economic sectors. What's really supporting the economy? And do people really want to live there? Or do you live in these areas? Like, what are the migration patterns in these areas? Because I remember there, they're like, we think a new employer is coming to town. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, how many people? 12. <laughs> well, that's not going to help me. Like, that's what one house. 12 people. I have hundreds of units here I need to fill. <laughs> this is just 12 people. So, It really is just like, pay attention to what makes sense to you. And then another thing that people need to ask themselves is really, do I want this? What do I really want? If I could do anything and invest anywhere, where would that be? And then once you really acknowledge that, then your second question is, and how can I make that work? Yep. And if you just put a little bit of thought into it, just like the people did who sold everything and moved to Boise, but this time we're going to make a good choice. You'd be amazed what you could come up with. You'd be amazed. I love it. Well, Monica, I want to be respectful of your time and switch us now into our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? My favorite book is the Prosperity Bible. And so if you haven't read it, you better I don't think I've read it or heard of it. Yeah. It's incredible. It's the compilation of probably the greatest works on prosperity, like Napoleon Hill and... Think and Grow Rich and all these great works. So it's a 2000 page book. It's the size of a phone book. I read it every morning. I've read it about four times. Love it. And that's how I start every day reading this book. I have to check it out. 
Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What's something that you do every day? Every day I manifest, I do my priming routine every single day, which consists of reading the prosperity Bible, consists of stretching, manifesting, consists of freezing cold showers. <laughs> it really consists of must-do work. It really consists of getting me in a peak state every day. I wake up very early around four and just hit the day running. So, and I go full steam till probably about 10 o'clock at night on work nights. And that's just me. I'm on board with all of that. I haven't gotten to the frozen showers yet. There's one thing I hate as a swimmer my entire life, and that's freezing cold water. Yeah. If you're a swimmer, then you have a competitive advantage over that one. So yeah. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I ever received was from my mother who just said, don't ever settle for anything less than the absolute best. So don't settle. Our fourth one is what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? I think the thing I'm most proud of in my life is living, like really living my life every single day, what we, I created my life and, and doing what I say. Like I said, when Vaughn and I are actually going through these real estate investments and trying things out and coaching people, we're still figuring, like authentically doing it ourselves. So it's just really living life authentically in its purest, rawest form and going through life as a student, not as a perfect master. Tell my kids, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm learning with you. I'm growing up with you. (laughs) (laughs) I heard someone say that the other day, though. It's like uh, the most successful people in the world are the ones that have a vision of how their life should go and achieve that vision, whatever that is in your vision. Yeah. Our fifth one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Well, I think I just have to go back to like Robert Kiyosaki to really just go back and thank him for writing that book. And when I write books, I'm writing for the same language to people. I'm not here to prove how smart I am or how fantastic I am or that I'm this great, amazing person that people should strive to be like. Who cares? Like when we wrote Real Estate Mistakes, I just want to help people avoid mistakes and just share a perspective in layman's terms that everyone understands rather than just trying to to create this sort of sense of disillusionment and what I know versus how can I help people? I think that's my mission in life is really to, by filling the wealth gap is really encouraging people to saying everyone is equal and everyone has equal power in them to create their best life if they'll just tap into it and use their resources. So as we're building out resources steadily for people to tap into and making these types of um, financial literacy commonplace, which Robert Kiyosaki really did with just one simple book. And now he has tons of books, but everyone just remembers him really for that book. And that's the person I would just really, again, like to like to thank and, and say thanks for changing our life. I got to tell Tony Robbins, thank you for changing our life. And that was one of the best experiences ever because his head's so big. Thank you for changing my life. And he's like, oh, did I change your life? And I'm like, oh my God. So I'm still amazed that happened, but I'd love to have that same, that same conversation with Robert Kiyosaki. Well, Monica, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you and learn more about you or learn more about RPI education, where's the best place we could point them? www.rpieducation.com. Perfect. We're going to link that in the show notes. And then Monica, thanks for coming on. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.